We have been walking through the book of Colossians in a series called By Him and For Him. Uh, Last week, Christian finished it off for us. He had a long list of names, and he walked through those names and how we can get a peek into the, the early church, how the list of names gives us a little bit of a window into how the early church operated. But we've been walking through it for quite a while, and this week we're going to do something a little bit different, uh, what I really enjoy and appreciate doing, and that's we're going to actually read the entire letter in one shot. I like to do that because, don't get me wrong, I like to do a verse-by-verse study, I like to really get in depth and really try to understand the cultural context, Uh, but the early church, when they first heard this letter, they sat down together as a church. And someone who was instructed how to read the letter would have stood up in front of them and just read the letter. And they would have sat there and they would have listened. And so when we do that, I'm going to ask you not to read along with me, uh, but to just sit and listen, much like the first audience would have done. But before we go do that, I want to look and just review some of the major themes. Because one of the things I like to do about this is oftentimes we lose the forest from the trees as we study verse by verse and we, get, we really dive into certain subjects every week and then we kind of forget about the, the entire theme of the letter. And so today what I want to do is I want to review some of those themes that we examined over the course of a couple months and then we'll read from the beginning to the end And hopefully we'll start putting some of those pieces together and we'll start to see how those major themes connect. So the the letter starts off with a prayer. The first theme that I want to dive into is prayer. So it starts off with a prayer, and actually prayer becomes bookends for this letter. So the, the body of the letter begins with a prayer, and we actually begin to see the other themes come to life in this prayer. He gives us specifics of how to pray. He models prayer for us. And then at the other end of the the book, at the very end of the book, we see that this new life that he's going to talk about cannot be lived without prayer. We cannot put on the new clothes. We cannot mature in the righteousness of Christ without prayer. Therefore, it is imperative that we pray. So some of the specifics that he gives in his prayer and the imperatives at the end also give us the other themes. And the first one we'll address is the gospel. We find right off at the beginning that it is the gospel that has caused Paul to pray for them. And he prays for them because of the hope that they have in the gospel. Now this hope that they have in the gospel is not some wishful thinking. When we use the term hope, oftentimes we think, we kind of use that term as wishful thinking. For example, I grew up in Denver, and right now I hope the Nuggets win the NBA Finals. This is their first time in the NBA Finals. They may or may not win the NBA Finals. I'm hoping that they will. But do you notice that that hope is a wishful thinking, right? I'm, I'm wishful. Maybe you're hoping that you'll get that new car. Maybe you're hoping that that one person that you like, likes you back. That's not our hope. Our hope that we have in the gospel is not wishful thinking. Our hope is a confident expectation 
That's what hope here means. It's a confident expectation. So the gospel gives us a confident expectation that that the here but not yet, as Brent was explaining earlier, we have that. That we are already citizens of heaven, and because we are already citizens of heaven, we have a confident expectation that when we die that citizenship will be fully realized. So we have a confident expectation. The gospel gives it to us. But what is the gospel? Literally in the Greek, gospel just means good news. And we oftentimes use this as shorthand for the idea that because everyone has rebelled against God, everyone, every single one of us has rebelled against God. We've all shaken our fist at God and said, forget you, God, I want to do things my way. And it might have been just a little, uh, what seems to be insignificant way that you've done that. But you've done it. You've rebelled against God. And because every single one of us has rebelled against God, this world is broken and we live in a fallen world. It doesn't take a whole lot for us to figure that out, right? We see it all around us. We see death, we see despair, we see fighting, we see war, we see drug addiction. We see all of the brokenness that is caused by a fallen world. And beyond that brokenness, we are also all slaves to sin. That thing that you hate doing, and yet you do it anyway, that's a sign that you are a slave to sin. It reveals that you are a slave to sin. And it could be all sorts of things. That outburst of anger. And you hate that you're an angry person. You hate that you yell at people. And yet, you can't stop yelling. It reveals you're a slave to sin. Maybe it's pornography. And you hate that you lust after women and you... You hate yourself for lusting after women, and yet you come back to it over and over again. It's a sign that you're a slave to sin. It reveals that you're a slave to sin. Now, that is not the gospel. That's not the good news, that that the world has fallen, the world is broken, that we're slaves to sin. That's not the good news. The good news is that God is in the process of redeeming us. That we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. That because we have rebelled against God and have abused His creation, we have been separated from God. Rebellion against a perfect God cannot actually have a relationship with a perfect God. But because God has loved us with such a great love, He came and He paid the price for our rebellion and is in the process of creating a new world, and that process begins with us. That's the good news. And all you have to do to be reconciled to your Creator, to be redeemed by your Creator, to be free from sin, is you put your faith and trust in Christ and on His work on the cross. And at that moment, you are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer dead in your trespasses and sins. You are no longer separated from God. But you have been made alive together with Christ. 
and you have been freed from your sin. So the gospel is shorthand for this idea. That we have all rebelled against God, and therefore we have been separated from God, and therefore we are slaves to sin. But because Christ loved us with such a great love, he came and he paid the price, and we no longer have to be separated from God, and we no longer have to be slaves for sin. But this is not all the gospel is. The gospel is so much more. And it is actually a reference to the entire Bible. All of Scripture is true, and all Scripture reveals the gospel. And the gospel speaks into every aspect of our life. There's not one part of the Bible that's not true, and not one part that is not a part of the gospel. So each genre, each story, each letter, each book is going to be a part of God's love and grace for the people that he created. So this gospel speaks into every aspect of our life. How to parent. How to love. How to interact with your employee. How to interact with your employer. How to use your free time. How to embrace fun. Christian, I don't think we talk about that enough. Fun is a gift from God. It speaks into our sexuality and our sex life. It speaks into every relationship and every action we take. So that's the gospel. And then at the end of this letter, Paul asks for them to pray that God would use him to spread the gospel. That they would make the most of every opportunity to share this gospel. So this gospel, the good news of the entire word of God, is a major theme in this letter. Because it is through this gospel that God is redeeming the world. It is through this gospel that God is changing our hearts. It is through this gospel that God has made us righteous and holy and has reconciled us back to him. And that actually leads us to the next theme, which is maturing in the gospel. Not only does Paul want to share the gospel, but he wants to see every believer, everyone who has put their faith and trust in Christ, to mature in the gospel, to grow in the gospel. So you've been made righteous by God. You've been made holy by God the second you put your faith and trust in Christ. He makes you righteous. He makes you holy. Now, begin to live like a righteous and holy person. He wants to see us mature in this righteousness and this holiness. And it's important to note that this is not a try-harder religion. That is actually one of the reasons Paul writes this letter. There were people who crept into the church, who claimed they had faith in Christ, and then they said, but if you really want to be a righteous person, if you really want to have God's favor, you'll do these extra things. This particular heresy is called the Colossian heresy, and it is a syncretistic mix of pagan mysticism and legalistic Judaism. So there was a small Jewish population that Antiochus moved into the area during his reign. Now they held on to as much of Judaism as they could, but because they didn't have scripture, they naturally drifted away 
This is an important lesson for us, I think. That we need to let Scripture dictate our life. That where we find truth is going to be in Scripture. And if we are not getting into Scripture on a regular basis, we will drift away from the truth. I think that is one of the reasons why our culture has such a difficult time with truth. And why we believe that there can be multiple truths. By, by the very nature of truth, there can only be one truth. There cannot be your truth and my truth. I cannot speak my truth. I can speak my perspective on the truth, because everyone has a different perspective of the truth, but by its very nature, there can only be one truth, because truth is what is real. So there cannot be multiple truths. But without the authoritative source on truth, we cannot even understand that there is only one truth. And because our perspectives are often messed up, we cannot fully understand truth. But we need to turn towards the authoritative source on truth so that we can actually fully understand truth. So we need scripture for that. We need scripture for truth. So this group of Jews that Antiochus had moved to Colossae didn't have scripture. They didn't have the authoritative source on truth. And so they started to twist truth. They wanted to hold on to to their traditions. And they became just that, tradition. And so they developed this idea that in order to be more, in order to have more favor from God, we need to give up certain practices and follow a list of, of specific do's and don'ts for our life. And if we follow this list of specific do's and don'ts, then we can actually be more holy. This is legalism. And legalism is the world's operating system. Without God and an understanding of His grace, we will all begin to separate ourselves out by what we do and what we believe. And we will believe we are better and other people are worse because of the certain behaviors and certain beliefs they have. We see this so clearly in our culture today, can't we? If you believe something, you must be better than people who don't believe that same thing you believe. So this is legalism, the belief that we can earn God's favor or we can be more righteous, and that was one aspect of the heresy. The other aspect came from pagan mysticism. And this pagan mysticism believed that we could somehow conjure up an experience with God. We could have this greater experience with God if we did certain things. That if you were really a super special spiritual person, You would live this legalistic lifestyle that would somehow give you some kind of an emotional experience with God. So they were jumping through these legalistic hoops so that they could have an emotional experience with God. Paul is writing to combat this idea. So he wants us to know that the second you put your faith and trust in Christ, Christ makes you righteous. And Christ favors you. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't earn it. And you cannot earn more of it now. 
There are not some Christians that are more than and some Christians that are less than. But we are all on the same plane that Christ has put us in. There is no hierarchy. I run into this a lot because people think since I'm a pastor, I have like some special connection with God. I've got a hint. Or I shouldn't say a hint. I've got a little secret. I do not have some special connection with God that you can't have. You have the exact same connection as me. I'm not some super special spiritual person that you need in order to connect with God. So Paul is writing to combat this idea. You can't earn any more of God's favor. You cannot earn any more righteousness. You cannot earn any more holiness. But you can mature in it. You can grow in the righteousness that he has placed upon you. He lavishes his grace upon you, and you can mature in that. And I think he explains this fairly well in uh, chapter 1, verse 9. He uses a a few different terms here. He uses uh, the term uh, filled, meaning completed. So he, he says that we should be filled with the knowledge of God, or filled... Uh, with epigenosis, and that epigenosis means knowledge, but it's not just like a regular knowledge of worldly things. It's Epi is upwards, so it's this idea of knowledge of God. So he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God and his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And why are they filled with this? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work. And what happens when they can, uh, bear wor- or when they can walk out this filling of the knowledge of him, then they get to increase in the knowledge of him. And so we see this kind of cycle here that you can get into that I like to call the growth and understanding cycle. It has to start with understanding. And the more you understand Christ, the more you understand who he is and who you are because of who he is, the more you remind yourselves of biblical truth, the more you grow, the more you mature in the grace that he has lavished upon you. Now, the Colossian heresy, the legalism and mysticism that they were embracing produces what I like to call the sin-shame cycle. And that is, when you sin, and you don't know how to deal with your sin, when you don't know who you are, even in the midst of your sin, that, that God has made you holy and righteous, you feel shame. And when you don't know how to deal with shame, what do you do? You try to numb the pain of the shame typically by the sin that you've been captivated by. I think there are some uh, slides that we've kind of reviewed. I want to review them again really quickly. Uh, These are the spirit versus flesh uh, slides. You can go ahead and there we go. These were created by uh, a pastor named Brian Clark out of Lincoln, Nebraska. He's a brilliant guy. But uh, this is how we typically view the Christian walk. We look at... We, we think that in our walk, the te- there's a tension point as a Christian between legalism and license. Legalism is typically, uh, or I should say, legalism is defined as earning your righteousness or earning God's favor. We see people do this all the time. Anything that they do or think can earn them God's favor. And there's even some good spiritual practices like reading your Bible that people get legalistic about. They think that because they read their Bible, they have somehow earned God's favor. 
Well, as Christians, we know this isn't right, right? We know that we can't earn God's favor, so we know we don't necessarily want to be legalists. We, we know that that's, that's bad. But we also know that license is bad. License is the idea that because Christ paid for my sins, I can just sin all I want. We saw this in 1 Corinthians. They, in the church in Corinth, they had a saying, all things are lawful, I can do all things. And Paul addresses that. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be put under the power of any. And so we see that license is bad, and we see it throughout uh, most of the Bible. We see how bad license is and how hurtful license can be. That when we just embrace sin, we put ourselves, we subject ourselves back under sin. So we know that sin, we know that license is bad, we know that legalism is bad, and so the Christian is, is caught up in this the difficult tension point, and most of us decide that we know we don't want to be licensed, we know we don't want to be legalists, so what do we do? We kind of fall somewhere in the middle because we think that's where the tension point is. By the way, I think most of the time we can identify license fairly easy in our life. When we are embracing sin, well, we know we're, we know we're embracing license. Legalism is a little bit more tricky to identify. How do you identify someone who's legalist? How do you identify if you are being legalistic? Because legalism is the world's operating system, meaning we can be more favored by God or we can be better than someone else by our beliefs and by our actions, we are all recovering legalists. We see legalism all around us. We all struggle with legalism. I struggle with legalism. You struggle with legalism. If you don't think you're struggling with legalism, you're lying to yourself. We all struggle with it. So how do you identify it? I think there's a couple ways that we can identify it. One is if you look at the works of the flesh in Galatians. And you are, have any of those works of the flesh found in Galatians. You're struggling with legalism. I think another way that we can identify if we are struggling with legalism is if you are operating out of fear. You are struggling with legalism. If you are holding on to beliefs and holding on to actions because you are afraid that if you don't do these things, God will no longer love you, that's legalism. If you are doing things because you are afraid that somehow if you accidentally mess up, then you will lose your salvation. You didn't earn it in the first place. You can't lose it. But if you are afraid, and that's what's motivating you, if fear is what's motivating you, you're struggling with legalism. Donald Miller, in his book, Blue Like Jazz, writes about how he hated grace. He loved grace for salvation, but he was a little afraid that if, if God's grace started to like infiltrate the church, then we would just have a church full of sinners. And everybody would just be out doing some wild, crazy stuff. And so he wanted to like cover up grace until he finally discovered that it was actually God's grace that helped us mature in his grace. But... That is a demonstration of fear. If you're afraid that God's grace breaks out and everyone will just turn to sin, then you're operating out of fear and you're operating out of legalism. 
if you think we need to talk a little bit more about license and a little bit less about legalism because, well, if we talk too much about legalism and if we address legalism too much, then everyone will just get caught up in license. You're struggling with legalism. There were two entire books written by Paul addressing legalism specifically. Colossians and Galatians. Now, don't get me wrong. License is addressed throughout the entire Bible. I'm not saying let's embrace license. But what I am saying is that legalism is just as damaging as license. And if you don't think that, then you struggle with legalism. I want to just remind you, two entire books written addressing legalism. Legalism is an issue. Legalism is a problem. But most of us don't realize, or most of us think this is the tension. Most of us know that license is a problem, so we err on the side of legalism. Now, these slides were color-coordinated. Red is the stop. This is a bad idea. This is not the truth. So let's go to the next slide. This is the actual tension. Now, the last one was kind of a spectrum, right? There is no spectrum here. This is the actual tension. We've got spirit on one side. We've got flesh on the other side. And you are either operating out of the spirit or you are operating out of the flesh. There is no spectrum. You don't want to like say, well, you know, maybe we could just get in the middle somewhere here. You're either being controlled by the Spirit and living by the Spirit, or you're being controlled by the flesh and living in the flesh. Now, how does license and legalism play out in this? We'll go to the next slide. There it is. Both license and legalism are expressions of the flesh. Both license and legalism are expressions of the flesh. License is giving in to your fleshly desire. That's what license is. Legalism is trying to conquer your fleshly desire through your own flesh. So have you ever known that person that was like the super special spiritual person that did all the spiritual stuff? They went to church anytime the doors were open. They were at church. They spent so much time in their Bible. No one could pray like they prayed. I mean, they would get up and give the most lavish prayers. And then one day you discovered that that person was head in over, way over their head in sin. And you were like, how did they do such a 180? They fell so far. They were so special and spiritual people. Well, the answer is they didn't fall very far at all. They went from license to legalism. or they, Sorry, I should say, they went from legalism to license. They were operating out of the flesh when they were trying to control their flesh through their own fleshly means, and now they're operating out of the flesh by their own fleshly desire. And Paul addresses this very specifically, that you cannot, you, uh, that legalism, trying to control the flesh through fleshly desire, is actually no use against the flesh. It doesn't work. And eventually, you'll go over to the license side. But conversely, I've seen it the other way too. Someone that was just embracing every sin on earth. They realized that that didn't fill them up. They, they recognized how incredibly damaging that was. And so what did they do? They quickly switched to legalism. 
and then truly embrace God's grace. So that is, those are two expressions of the flesh. But really, we want to be controlled by the Spirit. So how does this play out in our, in our uh, walk? Let's go to the next slide. So this is discipleship theory. You know, we come to the cross, we come to salvation, and then most of the time we get taught that we need to earn our righteousness, right? That after you've put your faith and trust in Christ, great, you're saved. Now start making yourself more righteous through your behavior. But this is how this theory actually plays out in reality. Let's go to the next slide. So this is the sin-shame cycle summed up in reality. That you're coming, walking along, trying to earn your, your salvation. You come to the point where you, you understand the cross. You understand God's grace that you can be saved by. And so you put your faith and trust in the cross. But then you want to try to earn your righteousness through your works. So you work really hard to earn your righteousness. And what happens? You fell. And what happens when you fell? You feel shame. And so you go into this dark room of shame and you try to punish yourself to earn back that righteousness and you punish yourself really well until you finally climb out of that dark room of shame and you start earning your righteousness again until what happens? You fell again. And you go back into the dark room of shame. That is the reality of legalism. Legalism produces the sin-shame cycle. But let's see what Christ has actually done for us. Let's go to the next slide. This is what Christ has actually done. You're walking along trying to earn your salvation. You come to the point where you realize you can't earn your salvation anymore. So you put your faith and trust in Christ. And the second you put your faith and trust in Christ, he makes you fully righteous. You are totally righteous in the eyes of God. You are totally holy. You are totally pure. Whether you were a missionary working in the mission field your entire life, or whether you're the prostitute then the drug user that just came to know Christ today, you have the same amount of righteousness because it is God's righteousness that covers you. So then what happens? What are you, how do you grow in this? Well, you mature in this. Let's go to the last slide, actually. You mature in this by reminding yourself of God's truth. So you can't earn more righteousness, you can't earn more favor from God, but you can mature and grow in it. And you mature and you grow in it by reminding yourself of the truth of God's word. So when you mess up, instead of going into the dark room of shame and punishing yourself to try to earn that back, you remind yourself of the truth of God's word, that he died on the cross for your sins because he loves you so much. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are his workmanship. That word workmanship means masterpiece or original artwork. You are his original masterpiece. And he calls you righteous. He calls you holy. He calls you blameless before him. And as you remind yourself of these truths, you mature in the righteousness he, he places upon you, and then your works start to outflow from that. It's not that you work for your righteousness. It's that as you realize that you have been made righteous, you begin to live a lifestyle that reflects that righteousness. So that is another major theme of maturing in this gospel. And this leads us to the final theme because all of this is based around Christ and his preeminence. By the way, I have these as uh, cards. If anybody wants the cards I can pass those out to you later on. I've got a whole stack of them. 
But the, the theme, the major theme that all of this is based on is Christ's preeminence. So the theology of the letter that the application is based on is that Christ is supreme, Christ is all, Christ is everything. The key text for this is uh, chapter 1, 15 through 20. In this text, Paul shows that Christ is the image of God, that all things were created by him and through him and for him, and all things exist in him, meaning if he ever for some reason ceased to exist, so would you. And then he goes on to explain that he rose from the dead and is in the process of reconciling all things to himself. So you were created by him, you were created through him, you were created for him, you exist because of him. Everything else Paul writes is based on this. He explains his own ministry based on this. He explains the heresy and how it misses the point, which is Christ is enough. He explains how we then should live, that we're not to earn God's favor, but because Christ is preeminent, because Christ is supreme, we need to put off the old behaviors and put on the new behaviors. And at the very end, we get a long list of names. And this list of names gives us a window into changed lives because of Christ's preeminence. We see lives that are changed, relationships that are restored, even cultural changes that occur when Christ is the center of our life. So everything in our life, everything in the world revolves around Christ's preeminence. And that is the major theme that ties all the other themes together. Without Christ's preeminence, all the other themes would be hogwash. There'd be nothing And we will see this theme throughout the entire letter. So now we're going to look and we're going to read through the entire letter. And I want you to just sit, listen, as we we read through uh, the letter of Paul to the Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, 
For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of His body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Therefore, 
Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit yourself to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and ascetism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian, scathian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, 
Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus My fellow prisoner greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this letter. We thank you that it's still relevant today. That that Colossian heresy is a heresy that we struggle with as well. That we have a problem struggling with mysticism. And that we have a problem struggling with legalism. And yet you have addressed those problems thousands of years ago. And we pray that we would take it to heart. Help us to identify when we are living a life in the flesh, being expressed whether by license or whether by legalism. And help us to live a life where we are being controlled by your Spirit. That we would mature and grow all the more by the head, which is you. And that as a body of Christ, we would spur one another on in this local church. That we would all mature in the grace you have lavished upon us. In your name we pray. Amen.